Welcome to Amusement Sparks, the theme park design show. I'm your host, Andrew Spawn, and with me today is a very special guest, James York. How are you doing today, sir? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. You've got this this huge online footprint of cool stuff that you've done. <laughs> I don't even know what to like lead in with, but can you explain yourself a little bit and like, you know, what some of the cool accomplishments you've got going on are? My day job is I'm a language teacher at a university, so Basically, I teach English with board games and I teach English through game design and things like this. So I'm very involved in language teaching with games. But um, another part of my online persona is um, 8-bit music and chiptune. So that's where we're going today, essentially. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. We're kind of taking a whole, a whole genre once again, but it's one that maybe has less... Um, specific known works that have visuals so it's a little different like mm. i think this might be our first music-based theme park chiptune so this is a, a genre of music that i personally really love as i love vintage video games i love electronic music um excellent, excellent. yeah so I'm, I'm super down for this and i really like uh the work that you've done personally uh, so I think you're a really good a good guest to have on this episode. I'm, I'm stoked about it. <laughs> yeah, so I actually record as Cheap Shot, and I have a record label, a, ch- a chiptune record label called Cheap Beats. So I'm very much in the chiptune scene. If you don't know about chiptune, maybe this will be education uh, for you guys that are listening. I'm excited to be able to highlight and showcase some artists who do amazing work in a genre that's not appreciated very much by the you know, sort of mainstream culture. How long have you been making chiptune music yourself? I've been making it since, uh, let's think, about 2010, 2009. Essentially, I, ca- I came to Japan in 2005. Uh, I studied the language quite hard. And then after I got to a level of proficiency where I was happy, I went back into music because my BA is in music. So I didn't know that. That's awesome. And what originally brought you to Japan? That's just such a, a cool journey for so many people. It connects to the BA, so my well, it was actually a, um, my my bachelor's degree in kind of music technology. I was like, well, I'm not going to get a job that easily. I was kind of floundering about in the UK, and so I thought I'll just come for an adventure in Japan. And I've been here 14 years now. Wow, so. that's fantastic! Very cool. <laughs> so yeah, your your yeah. record label's been going for what six years, or is it longer than that now? Something like that. Yeah, 2012. 12, 2013 maybe we started so yeah a long time we have over 100 releases so, that's yeah. so impressive like that's something that i've always been interested in is music production and record labels and that whole thing um so in college i did a few projects on one pro- doing producing a record and one on uh starting a record label it was like a non-profit type thing but things have changed so much even over the last like you know six or seven years uh in the world of digital publishing and music rights and music streaming and all that has that been like a crazy journey for you? Yes, uh, I think th- there's a website called Bandcamp, you're probably aware of it. Um, yeah. that, that really changed things for net labels. It made it very easy to start a record label and get music out there. Um, it's kind of a self-publishing website. They take 5 to 10% of any uh, money that you make, but um, mm-hmm. it's really easy to get in front of fans. And yeah, it, it, that, that's been really helpful. There's things like SoundCloud, which are just not very useful. Um, yeah. But yeah, Bandcamp has been a big game changer, definitely. And then with Spotify, it's pretty much um, a given that you have to have your records on Spotify now. But Right, but it's not a good source of income, isn't it? Like it you have to really get 100 isn't. plays to make a cent or something like it that? It really isn't. I mean, I, I just got, literally last weekend, I downloaded my 
digital store kind of streaming revenue um, for all the re- releases that we have on on my record label. And it's like uh-huh. just maybe two or three that have made a little bit of cash. The rest are just like pennies. It's crazy. Wow. Man, that's that's rough. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, any so, of the listeners, <laughs> feel free to go to these releases and then just loop the albums and turn your speakers off. <laughs> so the best thing I can say, if you really like uh, a scene or you really like the music, you really like the artist, the best thing you can do is support them by just doing a one-time purchase. Like a couple of dollars, three, yeah. four dollars, it's it's much better than whatever they'll make on Spotify. Yeah, Totally true. And, and it's different um, as far as like um, actual like physical performances for a lot of these artists who's, I mean, it's a really cool scene and seeing a live chiptune show is fantastic, but they don't have the, they don't draw the crowds in order to like justify going on a nationwide tour very often. But you do have some really interesting festivals. Do you know anything about those? <laughs> yeah, I, I run the the biggest chiptune event in, in Japan. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes, Square Sounds Tokyo. Um, it's a yearly event that we do out here where we have international chiptune artists and um, a large selection of national chiptune artists. Um, yeah, that's a big one in Japan. There's a couple in Europe. I mean, the, the starter was like 2006 with Blip Festival, which was run in New York. But that unfortunately died down after I think 2010 2011 something like that right and they made a documentary about that that's one, right. right yeah um yeah. that was a big one in new york but there's still little pockets of chiptune in the states um seattle is actually blowing up right now there's a there's a couple of events happening over that way um i think la there's going to be an event happening again soon and then sheffield in the uk there's there's an event happening uh, and London, there's stuff happening, but yeah, it, it's it's kind of small. We've been doing Square Sounds now for I think about nine years in Tokyo, so uh, and yeah, we're kind of in a groove. It's like this is how we do it every year. People know what to expect, so just having that kind of kind of standard, um, it, it really is quite helpful. That's awesome. And just before we get into the actual theme park, I'm really curious. Are your like students like just amazed by the stuff that you've done? So they don't really know about this side of my life. <laughs> you don't wear this hoodie to like class every day or anything? <laughs> no. He's got like a cool like pixel art chiptune hoodie. I actually work at a science and tech university. So I have a couple of students occasionally that go, you know, oh, I went to Square Sounds Tokyo. And I'm like, oh, cool. I run that. And they're like, no way. Like, but because the genre is so small, it's, there's only a couple of students that ever come up to me and ask me about music. I feel like that's such a cool thing to have on your resume and that you've been had a, kind of an influence on multiple like parts of the the scene over there. Like I imagine you'd be like a star, but <laughs> I guess it is a pretty niche thing even in Japan, right? That's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I guess the history of chiptune, I don't know of much uh, originating from Japan. Of course, oh. a lot of the hardware did, mm. but it seemed like a lot of the originators were in the UK and then kind of some worldwide explosion starting maybe in the US and mm. Europe. I think the States, particularly the New York scene, is very instrumental in uh, making it popular. That's, that's for right. sure. But Japan, I think in Japan we have kind of two styles of chip tuners. You have the people that do want to perform and go out and be a, a public face. But Japan, in terms of its mm, kind of social media presence, um, people are quite reserved and they're, they're quite private. So you have this whole chip tune scene in Japan where they're making music, but they're not performers. Whereas if you imagine the States, people just want to perform. They want to go out there and perform. So Yeah, that makes sense. And those are definitely different sides of the same fandom yeah. almost 
See, Japan has always had this kind of mystique about it. So if you are if you are a kind of public chip tuner in Japan, you get a lot of followers. Like particularly on our label, we have Scythe and Tobokegao, these two artists that they're they're very public, and so they they do get a lot of followers, which is which is nice. Awesome, very cool. Um, so should we start with like an overview of what chip tune is, just so that the audience, if they're not familiar, can get caught up a little bit? What makes chip tune chip tune? The best way to describe chip tune for me is thinking of it as an aesthetic rather than a genre of music. It is not a genre of music. Chiptune is just how you produce the music. So everybody's using the same sound chip to produce the genre of their choice. That is chiptune. So for example, I'll pick up a Game Boy and I have a cartridge in there and the cartridge will be triggering sounds from the Game Boy sound chip. That that is chiptune. It means that you are triggering sounds from the chip inside this old computer. Which means that you can pretty much make any genre of music. I can make a blues track, I can make a rock track, I can make pop, techno, dubstep, whatever you want. Um, it's just the kind of sound palette that makes it chiptune. That's fantastic. That's a great explanation. And it it seems like the, the borders of it are kind of fuzzy. Like there's some people who do what's called fake bit, which sounds a little derogatory, but where you use modern hardware to emulate or sample those earlier hardware sounds just in a more user-friendly way. Yep, there's a whole dumpster fire flame war about what is chip tune. <laughs> right, but it, it, it can include a lot of different things and you can add on a layer of playing like an actual guitar or playing drums or you know whatever physical instrument you want to add to it too. It just wouldn't meet the like most simple... Uh, enclosed definition of what chiptune is. Well, it would be the purest definition and the elitist definition of if it's not made on an old computer, then it's not chiptune. I mean, that is the the pure purest uh, perspective. But yeah, you can have you know bands that play with uh, the the Super Nintendo or the Nintendo as a backing instrument. That that's that's basically chiptune as well. And then, like you mentioned, fake bit, which is emulated chiptune. But of course, you can do things with fake bit, like you can emulate maybe four or five Game Boys all playing at the same time. So you can get different different sounds out of it. Right. And it's just using a newer technology to leverage what it's capable of, because the, that old hardware could barely, especially really old stuff, like Commodore 64, for example, you can't run much, uh, you know, of a spectrum of sound through that thing at all. So it makes sense to leverage newer technology. But for the purist, I mean, I'm quite quite a purist myself. For the purist, to hear something that just, it sounds so cutting edge, so modern, coming out of these old machines, you're just like, that is the, the draw. That is, wow, you know, how, how did they right. do that? That is the draw of this music genre. What I think the beauty of something like this is is seeing what someone's able to create with such limited, super tight restrictions. And it's not like you're going to find some shortcut or some hidden expanse of the technology. It's like the realm of possibility is well-known and well-established, and it's not going to get an update anytime soon. So you're using these these old pieces of technology and just squeezing more life and more art out of it, which is a really, really cool thing. I guess it's a really interesting genre. Absolutely. And personally, I love the the Game Boy related stuff because those are the the you know official chip tunes like from actual you know Nintendo cartridges that I grew up with. That I, I think that music is really good. Um, so seeing someone kind of pay homage to that and use the same exact hardware, it's like oh, it's like it, I don't know. It's such a cool whimsical thing <laughs> that uses nostalgia and leverages it and creates something totally new. Like 
I'm just crazy about the genre. Yeah, I mean, we can t- we can talk about this all day. I mean, but the 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 idea of chip tune as well is it is not video game music. That is something that right. that people often make mistakes with. Yes, it could have been used for a game soundtrack, but chip tune is is more of using this Game Boy to make modern music. That that's my own perspective, and that's the perspective that I try to push. That we are separate from video game music. We are not particularly. Uh, interested in video games. We are making music with these old machines. That is chiptune for me. And there are some some notable artists who may have started out as doing it more commercially for video games, and then they've transitioned into the more the chiptune scene of being able to be more creative and not doing this just for a project of a video game. Or even the other way around as well. Chiptune has then go on to make uh, OSTs for game soundtracks. So yeah, they they got to make money. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. theme park based on a classification of music what a concept (laughs) you're the one who came up with this idea uh what do you think should we i mean we have to make it something physical it can't just be an auditory experience right that's right yeah that's right okay (laughs) let's start with the roller coaster because i guess that's a staple of a theme park absolutely that's what's going to be on the t-shirts and stuff (laughs) the roller coaster i thought of as an 8-bit wavetable imagine a sine wave it's a very smooth like a roller coaster, yeah, it's very smooth. like a roller coaster, yeah, yeah. classic up and down, yeah, curve. But, mm-hmm. but with the old hardware, with the eight bit hardware, it's not that smooth, right? It's not a smooth, lovely round sine wave. It, it you've got like jagged edges and and it's, it's like pixels versus polygons, kind of like polygons. You can replicate something pretty smooth, but with yeah. pixels especially lo-fi pixels you cannot at all mm. so it's it's like a square it's not even a real thing in math that's very common at all but basically just squares right yeah so if you imagine square above the yeah, x-axis a square below. imagine a staircase going up and then back down again that is how that is the definition that is that's the kind of resolution that you get with 8-bit so i thought it'd be kind of cool to have an 8-bit um roller coaster which is incredibly painful because you're <laughs> You're going, you're going up and down these stairs. Just super yeah. bumpy. <laughs> but then chiptune is also 16-bit. You can have like the game, the Game Boy Advance and the uh, the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo. They have a, a much smoother sound, if you like. So they're, they're double the resolution. So maybe you can have 16-bit um, parts of the roller coaster that are not quite so jaggedy and not quite so painful. Yeah, and another way we might want to take this metaphor, like in another part of the park in a more mundane area would be with an actual staircase where you have the big chunky stairs that are kind of an 8-bit sound and maybe doing one of those things that they've have these in various places in the world where each step you tap you step on each stair you step on I guess is a clear way to say that plays a different note like it's on a keyboard like ascending or descending but you can also do a higher fidelity one for like the handicap accessible ramp there we go it could be like a smooth spectrum of sound as you wheel up or down it or walk up or down it whereas it's like clearly defined digital type sounds on the staircase. There we go. I like it. So how about all the staircases in the theme park make 8-bit sounds or something? I love it. And you, it wouldn't have to just be a straight like scale. Mm-hmm. It could be like a, 
the instrument it's called like a thumb piano i forget the authentic name for it but basically where all the notes sound good and they're all in the same key but uh, okay they're, they're in a scale yeah. yeah so we could have different scales in different areas or it could play the first several notes of any famous you know song well I, I know i wanted to try and keep video games out of it as much as possible but do you remember mario 64 where you go up the the staircase of infinity and <laughs> yes. that uses something called the shepherd scale i believe where it's overlapping uh it, basically it's overlapping octaves of sound that they they become louder in the middle and then quiet as they go towards the end so it, it has this kind of weird property where it feels like it's an, a never-ending uh, going up kind of sound so we, wow. why don't we have that i love that and that is such a a, a powerful sound like that's that song is like maddening almost mm. or like it it puts you into like a trance it's really interesting About the um, the roller coaster, um, I, I try to in- incorporate um, artists that fit particular rides. So for the roller coaster, because it goes up and down, maybe we could have kind of emotional chip tune that uh, is you know triggered as you're going down. It's kind of like a sad stuff, and you're going up. It's kind of happy stuff. So, but no, that's cool. And you could even change it out with the seasons. You know, if you have a featured artist, there we go. Even if it changed every 15 minutes, you know, you could ride the roller coaster and hear one soundtrack kind of scored to it and it could have lights that light up and you know like a like a laser show or whatever like choreographed to the music and then you can get back on the ride again and it's a different artist with different light show but the same ride there we go oh that's fun i like it dude that's really cool and i also love that you could that this park because it's music based we can highlight the artists Mm. a lot Mm. It's, it's really cool it's not just about the hardware you know it's about the artistry and each specific musician as well yep I like that. I like that a lot. The next ride that I have here is... Um, I don't know what it's called. You know, it's... How can I describe it? It looks like a whirling hat. It looks like... It's almost like a coin, like a quarter when it's yes, almost that's right. flat. That's right. So it's spinning round horizontally, but then there's parts of it going up and down vertically like a wave. Right, right. Like a whirling dervish kind of thing. So this ride, it, it, I imagined it like a, a hexagon kind of shape. And thinking of a hexagon, I know that there's an artist from the UK called Chip Zell, um, and she made a soundtrack for a, a game using... Uh, her Game Boy, and the game was called Super Hexagon, where you are literally a, a hexagon spinning round. It got quite a, a critical acclaim. This game, so um, I've it, heard it's super hard. Yeah, like, it is. It looks when you watch someone play it, it's like, yeah, I get what they're <laughs> doing. But then, yeah, supposedly I've, I haven't actually played it, but it's like pretty much super difficult. I think you have to spin round the edge of the hexagon and then come back again. And I don't know, I've not played it too much myself, but it's like a labyrinth, almost like a ball maze kind of thing, right. but in three D. It's like Weltris, but it's rotating. Mm. Oh man, yeah, it looks really, it looks really cool, and and that's a really cool aesthetic for this too. So I thought that could be and, one of the rides. Yeah. yeah, 
I love that and and tying in with the artist once again. I also love the motion of those of those rides has kind of a a music like uh pulsing mm. rhythmic thing to it where it fits in time with music a lot. It's almost like a a warbly record on a record player or something. It is exactly like that. Yeah. That's a really cool one. Is there a, another uh, kind of coaster you had in mind for a specific artist? Uh not particularly, no. I just thought of having the roller coaster being the 8-bit thing, whereas, yeah, it's yeah. kind of painful. <laughs> I like that. And that's kind of fun. Like, even if you don't want to subject everyone's spines to that kind of trauma, uh, you could have, like, the the visuals next to them are really jagged and rugged during most of it, or maybe there's an 8-bit phase of it, and then you cycle back around and go on a 16-bit area where it's not quite as exactly, yeah. jagged. That was the idea. Yeah. yeah. Pretty staple for a, for a theme park is the haunted house. So again, using artist names, there's an artist called Albino Ghost Monkey. So obviously, having ghost in there, um, would, yeah, he, he he could have some some kind of uh, BGM going on. And then there's an artist from Japan called Scythe. So I thought of having swinging scythes going in and out um, in inside oh, the, the haunted awesome. house. That's fantastic. And there's also the, uh, I'm not sure if it's popular internationally, but there's a genre in the US at least that's the Viking ship that just kind of swings back and forth like a pendulum. Uh, that would work for this as well, a giant scaled scythe. Unfortunately, though, we couldn't have scythe's music as the BGM for the haunted house because he's super upbeat and happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> It might be cool, though, if uh, this giant scaled scythe is actually, like, chopping the haunted house in half. Like, you know, there's a part where you have to, like, stop in your tour of the haunted house and then, like, a a roller coaster car thing just, like, flies (laughs) through the building. Or maybe if it becomes too scary for you, then you could actually put some headphones on and listen to some scythe music and cheer yourself back up again. I like that. There, there you, you go. go. And kind of the up and down, like we were talking about with the like emotion, yeah. emotional roller coaster, so to speak, yeah. of of yeah, that the happy and the and the uh, tension. That's it. Awesome, fantastic. Yeah. So that was the haunted house. Um, and then there's an artist from uh, Seattle area, and his name is Boa Constructor, which comes from obviously Boa Constrictor, the snake. And I thought of having a snake kind of like a, a roller coaster, uh, not a roller coaster, a, a helter skelter, so like a slide that goes down, just just from his name. Um, and he makes this very kind of aggressive dubstepy, uh, yeah, trap kind of music. So that could be quite interesting in the background of the helter skelter. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I like the idea of a slide too. Um, even doing similar technology to what we were talking about with the stairs. Uh, where maybe the faster you go down, the mm. faster it plays the song, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, that could be interesting. Uh, it measures your your BPM as you pass between these two laser points, and it's like, okay, we're playing this song with this person because they're this song is going to be the exact right BPMs for them to be riding around as the ride's pulsing to the song or whatever. And again, we could perhaps have the the bumpy parts with the eight bit kind of style <laughs> that's really cool or like kind of a dubstep like those are like where the big like wobbly parts are oh man <laughs> well this is such a like bizarre idea but it's it's coming to fruition a lot more easily than i even expected it's awesome i can tell you've done your homework <laughs> I, I definitely thought about this i was on my commute to work and like yeah how, how can we make a chip chim theme park so 
then I thought, well, you're going to have to have uh, an arcade because a lot of chiptune, it's made on old game machines. So right. why don't we have an arcade with classic games from those machines? Um, maybe you've got some Game Boys set up. Maybe you've got some Mega Drives or whatever. So maybe you can listen to the music and, and play the games. So the arcade would have to be, you know, classic games, essentially. That's fantastic. And I like the getting the part guest familiar with the hardware as well. Just for someone who maybe has heard this music or, you know, they've played a lot of Fortnite and there's some little chiptune songs in there now. Right, right. But they're like, I don't really know the origins of this. Yeah. Or I've never heard of this old hardware. Mm. Every system I've ever raised, I grew up with was CD-based. Yeah. It's like, let us show you how it used to be done or whatever. You could do some kind of educational, like, uh, children's museum type stuff of here's how this is done. I never imagined it as a museum, but that, that's, that's a good idea. It just might be an easy way to, to I don't know, make, make the museum more interesting or the arcade more educational is to kind of intersperse them. Like, as you're playing Pac-Man, there's a Pac-Man exhibit right next to it or whatever. Well, having said that, the idea of the arcade then was to have uh, a real kind of chiptune experience zone as well. Oh, cool. So the idea of that was that maybe some experienced chiptuners um, are giving demonstrations or teaching people how to to make it themselves because there's there's kind of a part of the scene there's a couple of artists that i wrote down here a uh, big shout out to Bryface and tubers mcgee and defense mechanism pan Perdue. um there's there's a couple of people uh kiptune these guys are teaching others uh, basically they they're sharing their information their, their instrument creation ideas and their how they're making songs how they're for example Bryface in particular he showed how he made the tr- how he made a track just using one channel on the Game Boy. The Game Boy has four channels, but he said, well, this is how you can utilize one channel. And this is the sonic um, ideas that allow you to do it. For example, if you play a a bass kick, and then after the bass kick, there's this um, kind of silence, because it's the idea of the masking effect. If you play a sound really, really loud, your, your ears actually can't hear what comes after that for the next maybe you know half a second or something if you clap your hands very loud maybe you're listening to this now and you're at home and you've got nothing else to do if you clap your hands very loud you all the background sound will will kind of fade out and then come back in again and this is something that happens in your head that you don't usually notice it's called the masking effect so anyway you can utilize the masking effect in uh in song creations so you can create a loud sound leave a break and then you can put some um, some sounds in afterwards, and your ear doesn't notice that there's been a break there because it just seems natural. But anyway, I'm, I'm going totally off topic. But this kind of uh, how to make chip tune using um, acoustic psychoacoustic knowledge uh, is uh, something that these artists are actually giving to other people. So if you could have um, an introduction to making music with a Game Boy, a Tracker, uh, the the Nintendo Entertainment System. Some kind of, you know, place where people can learn about how to make this music would be pretty pretty exciting, I think. You could have the actual hardware set up for having people, like, play around with it and follow, you know, if the instructor has some advice, like, just do something with just this channel and here's how you manipulate it, people can actually do that. But you could also do, like, a more um, 
abstract or or maybe more user friendly, I guess, way of doing it because I've personally used uh, Little Sound DJ, the one for Game Boy, and it is very difficult to use for a modern sensibility where we're used to like apps and thoughtfully designed user experiences. It is not that. Um, it is obtuse, yes. It is. So we could have some some setup that are that are also a lot easier, where it's just kind of big, you know, colorful buttons or simple. Uh, drag and drop style things for for maybe someone who's younger or who doesn't isn't interested in the original hardware just wants to make cool music you could have a, a little bit of a simpler version you know running in Arduino or something like that have you ever played with nano loop I have not no yeah nano loop is the most abstract thing it's just <laughs> it's four by four squares the the interface is just uh, a grid so it's like a drum machine kind of thing. Yeah, it's like an MPC. Uh, so you've got the squares are in a four by four grid, and it flashes from top left to bottom right. So it just goes, and it just it keeps on going. And then you can put notes into that grid, and it, it's basically made into a, a four by four. All of the left side uh, squares are the first beat. So if you put uh, if you put a sound into those four squares, it will go dum 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 dum. Then you've got the other three squares are kind of, you know, half tones, if you like, half, half uh, beats. So Half notes, yeah. Half notes, yeah. So Nanoloop is really obtuse and really, really uh, kind of abstract, but it's very, very playful. You can just, because it's so live, like LSDJ, you kind of have to program it yourself. Right. That's what seemed so weird about it for me is that it's, there's not a visual interface. You're just kind of changing numbers in different columns. Like it's like a spreadsheet almost. It is like a spreadsheet and it's not <laughs> yeah. live. But Nanoloop, as soon as you put the notes in, it, it it's all constantly playing. It doesn't stop. So, cool. and then you can change the sounds like live. This is the uh, the software that I use actually. So if you want to see somebody using Nano Loop, um, I think there's still a, a tutorial online, like Cheap Shot Nano Loop tutorial. But um, yeah, this is a really playful piece of software. And, and if you're interested in in chip tune and, and getting started, I recommend Nano Loop. Uh, even though it's not as easy to get your get hold of, it's it's quite a rare item. Um, it's it's very very cool, uh, very very playful. That sounds amazing, and I think it it is really cool if you can learn those things from your favorite chiptune artist. So it might be neat if we have we'll get into this later maybe, but if we have a music performance space and so we're bringing in different chiptune artists, we can have them record a, a fifteen minute tutorial and then just play that video, you know, for the next three months or whatever until another. So basically, so people can kind of choose their own teacher in a way, which mm. is my like dream version of the future of education is choose the English teacher that you get along best with or right. you like their style or whatever. Oh, I wish it was like that at my university. Oh my God, that would be so good. I know. <laughs> I, I wish the world was like that because the teachers are amazing and they each have their own style, but they're not going to mesh with every single student, but the students have to be jammed together in the same classroom. It's... I'm sure that's the way of the future. It's just not here yet. That is um, my university experience. So my university has architecture, um, biology, maths, computer science, and engineering. So the, these are the five different students. And luckily, I'm not teaching the biology students. 
I'm not teaching the architecture students, I'm teaching the computer science students. So the use of games in the classroom is really up their alley, if you like. They're all gamers, they, they know about, they know about, you know, mobile games and PlayStation and PC games, but they don't know a lot about analog games. So it's kind of giving them this kind of game literacy as well. Dude, that, that's fantastic though. This is something I, I care about. I'm a former teacher myself and I would squeeze in something like video game references. Like I'd have a, a lecture teaching something about maths, but it was framed through a video game lens and I would appeal to like 10% of the audience and the other 90% would be, well, I'm now even more confused as if instead of just doing straight up the content, you did all this weird video game stuff. I'm like, ah, I was trying to make it cooler, but there's only certain people who are interested in that. It's kind of interesting because I think from somebody that hasn't really programmed a video game myself and, and just kind of teased into it, like dipped my toe in the waters, video game development is all about math, isn't it? It's, it's, Mm-hmm. everything is math you got to get the the trajectories the gravity the coordinates the cartesian coordinates it's there's a series on khan academy that uh uses pixar uh technology and their graphics it's it's really fascinating how much math is used to create that art and it's the same stuff as as with modern video games um, and even old video games, like, you know, the parabola of Mario's jump, for example, there's a lot of design that has to go into that to the point where he's not jumping too high too quickly mm. or it's not going out too far. Mm. There's a lot of balancing, a lot of fine tuning, and it's all math, which is really cool. It is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we got to nerd out there for a minute. That was enjoyable. Uh, but yeah, so have an arcade and then sort of a an experience next to it? Yes, an, har- an arcade with cl- classic games and then somewhere where people can learn about chiptune and uh, get blown away by artists and, and figure out, oh, wow, that- that's how it's made. Amazing. Like, see behind the curtain, I guess. Right. I-, I think that's fantastic. And we could even have modern games there, too. I've had this idea of a, of a business of taking modern indie video games and building arcade cabinets for them, like as a specialty thing, just because though that's a big resurgence of this style of music is if you're making a modern indie game and you want that sound, mm. find someone who's already proven themselves as a chiptune artist and hire them. You know, they're, they're good for it. Um, Absolutely. And they're looking for work probably where yep. they can actually use their music. So they are. I think it'd be cool to showcase those as well. Um, Cause you know, kids these days are a lot more <laughs> familiar with, with the, uh, Crossy Road. And... We're talking like old men right here. <laughs> right? <laughs> they know Minecraft and Crossy Road a lot more than Mario and Pac-Man, you know. You mentioned a, a stage, so I think that would be also interesting, just a stage with performances um, all day. I think that'd be so fun. So we have the square sounds, which we run, so we could have the, the square sound stage, which would be easy. And then there's an artist called Henry Homesweet, and he, back in about, I want to say 2011, 2012, maybe a bit earlier, he had this whole series on YouTube called Low Bit Basement, where he has two Game Boys um, from, you know, made in 1989. This is a very old machine. He had two Game Boys with uh, loop cartridges in each one, synced with the sync cable. Do you remember how you could play together yeah. with the sync cable? The link cable, yeah. Yeah, so that they use that cable to make sure that the two machines are playing in sync, so that the sound doesn't kind of go out of sync. And essentially, he had two Game Boys into a DJ mixer. 
So then he's playing music and he had a webcam straight above where he was playing. And uh, it's just such a great um, kind of dirty live kind of uh, thing going on. So I thought, well, why don't we just have like this, this Henry Homesweet basement rave going on? Why not? That, that would be kind of a, an underground thing. And that's a good way to avoid the, the harsh light of the surface world. <laughs> you know, you could have a, a basement because it is way cooler. The, the visuals and um, I don't know, it just it fits better in a dark space, I think, than playing out in the sunlight where you can't even see your Game Boy screen, even with the backlight upgrade, you know? Yeah, well, you get artists. There's a, there's a famous um, Japanese artist called USK. He's not so active recently, but uh, USK, his, his thing was he'd have a little torch in his mouth and he'd be playing and have a, have a torch in his mouth so he could see the Game Boy screen because, of course, they weren't backlit. That's really smart. I mean, I guess a headlamp would do that, but that's not nearly as cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. That's really cool, having, like, an underground rave, and you could have that all, all, all times of day. And you could even do things, you know, when it's maybe off-peak hours where a musician's not actually physically there. You could still be playing the music really loud, like a dance club kind of vibe and get some lasers and maybe have some pixel uh style displays we have vjs you know the the idea of uh, visual artists and they there's a couple of that just use a, an old nintendo entertainment system the the nes and they'll generate some some graphics from there and, and we'll use that as uh, as a uh, vj stuff so yeah they that's exist. really cool and then you can can kind of pay homage to the sort of uh like hack intro screen or like the demo scene back in the day when people would like crack hardware to to share it they would add their own fun little intro at the beginning and usually they had some really amazing visuals and even chiptune music that was original that they'd put on as their little logo like you know this was hacked by this dude and they'd put this really cool visual and we could use some of those right this crew it was a lot of like kind of pirate gang type stuff going on still exists man still exists they're they're still doing it yeah they're still they're they're not doing it to crack games anymore but they're still making these kind of demos and uh, shout outs and stuff the demo scene is kind of separate to the chiptune scene um, because it's more about you know the visuals and um, the cracking and, and pushing these machines to do all these things but yeah, they totally still exist, yeah. Uh, have you played, uh, have you messed around with the Pico 8 at all? Yes, so now, again, we're probably going to get off topic here, but I've been messing around with Pico 8 myself to create visuals for the journal that I run. Yeah, I'm really interested in Pico 8, and I, I'm thinking of um, using it in my game design class with the students to get them to develop games in Pico 8, because it's a beautiful um, piece of uh, software, you know, you've got... The graphics, you've got the coding, you've got the music. It's just fantastic. I really, really like it. One simple package you can put on any computer. Yeah. Um, I've got it on, uh, I forget what it's called. I've got this little tiny handheld computer that's almost Game Boy Yeah, this thing, uh, right? Proportion. Yeah, that thing, the pocket chip computer. Uh, it comes on that system, which listeners at home, it's a really cool little crowdfunded computer um, but you can get it for, I have it for PC as well, the Pico 8. But I love the art style of that, uh, the aesthetic, the little tiny pixels, and I don't know, it's it's a really cool system, and there's a lot of kind of demo scene stuff on there of people just pushing the limits of what this thing can do. There is, there is. It's yeah. incredible. It's insane. Have, have you seen Tweet Carts? Are you familiar with this? No. Okay, so there's an artist on Cheat Beats, my friend, his name's Dogs Plus Plus. He's a, a kind of university student. And he got me turned on to it. But there's this whole thing called tweet carts where it's they make 
a cart, which is essentially a, a game for the Pico 8, the code that they create is within 280 characters, essentially. So if you copy and paste the code from their tweet into Pico 8, it will generate some kind of visual. And they're, they're insane, dude. They're absolutely crazy, wow. the things that they're creating with like 280 characters. I just can't believe it. And again, it's it's all completely deep math stuff, like using sine and cosine and loops and all this kind of stuff. It's it's beyond me. And and I love that it's it has such limitations on it, kind of like we were talking about with Chiptune, but it makes it so easy to foster a kind of interest in, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Absolutely. It, it's brilliant, dude. Um, I'm... I'm actually really wa- I really want to get a Pico 8 uh, musician to release on on Cheat Beats this year actually. That's that's a, a goal for the year. There's the guy called Gruber that that does some amazing music with the Pico 8 uh, sound stuff. So. Two things. One they've got like a magazine I, and I haven't been following the Pico 8 stuff very strongly for maybe 3 years or so, but before that there was a a little zine that would come out I think monthly and there's also a podcast um, that often featured musicians making cool stuff within Pico 8. Um, so check those out if uh, for the listener, yeah. And the developer, the, ma- the guy that made it, he lives in Tokyo, so I, I see him now and again. Um, he owns a cafe in Tokyo. Right. I-, I think that's like the most sort of romantic possible <laughs> life I could have ever imagined. Like what if you ask me as an eight-year-old, what's your dream job? would be like, probably something with like a Game Boy and this kind of music <laughs> and like a cafe like in Japan. That'd be absolutely ideal. And yeah, this guy's doing it. It's pretty cool. So yeah, that's an amazing system and it'd be cool to highlight maybe in the the kind of educational type of area, but also to create the graphics for the little club dance basement, you know? That's it, yeah. Pick away. It's, it's fantastic. It's a really cool system. And really fun games too. Man, there was one that's kind of like, kind of like billiards where you kind of like change the color of your ball and like consume other ones i forget how it works exactly but i was obsessed with that game uh there's a lot of fun stuff out there try out as many carts as you can get your hands on <laughs> there's um i just saw something again we're, we're totally deep off topic now but i just saw something on twitter recently they're developing 3d games for that now they're pushing it so hard they're doing like this faux 3d stuff like they've got this downhill slalom and, and things like that I've played, um, there's an Alone in the Dark, like, D-make, so to speak, that's 3D, um, and that's been around for probably four years now, so I'm sure they've come a long way with that kind of technology. It's incredible, with just such a low-fidelity screen, what they can do with the 3D. I mean, yeah, Pico it's huge, for sure. It, I mean, I don't know if it's hugely popular, but it's hugely important, at least to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree, uh, I agree. Oh, man, that's that's really fun, and I also like the idea of maybe having contests with the sort of tweet is tweet cart is that the phrase tweets cart yeah 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 having that kind of system as user generated content like you know we'll play your video that you created using this yep system you know if you use hashtag whatever and tweet at <laughs> your graphics the theme yeah. park we can uh use your your graphics like it'd be so cool yeah if we know you're going to be in the theme park we'll put your video in the loop somewhere That'd be so fun. That's a great. That's a great link. You pulled it back. <laughs> yeah, <professional>. segue. <laughs> All right. So what happens when we we come back out of the basement and you know we're blinded by the harsh light of reality once again, but we're still in the theme park, so that's good. Where do we go next? <laughs> another ride idea. Another simple ride idea is uh, a Dodgems cars, right? Mm-hmm. You call them Dodgems in the states? Yeah. Bumper cars. Bumper cars. I think. Okay. Yeah. Dodge them sounds more fun though. Yeah, because you dodge them. Yeah, we just yeah. bump them like we don't. We don't even try to dodge. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the dodgems, I thought we could have um, you actually choose your car. The, the car is, um, you've got a, a Nintendo one, a Game Boy one, uh, a GBA one, and maybe a Mega Drive one, or whatever. You can choose your favorite kind of old 8-bit system. And then, so it's kind of dodgems or bumper cars, but with some kind of point system as well, where the more times you bump or the less times you bump, the the you, you win, essentially. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and you can change the game type to have it be run away from the others, like in Pac-Man. Okay, yeah, Or point. smash everyone else like you're the ghost in Pac-Man. I guess it could be Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah, so it's like NES versus Game Boy versus GBA kind of That's thing. That's awesome. Um, and then when they bump, they make a, an art, you know, a typical sound from... <laughs> From that particular system, like the, the NES could maybe make the Mario jump, Game Boy could do like a Kirby jump, I think Sonic, so that'd be kind of a, a nice idea. That is a really fun idea, and I love that, so, that's that's fantastic. So this one's not really chiptune inspired, but more the the hardware inspired. Right, right. which the hardware okay. led to the genre in a way, or the aesthetic, so so yeah, there's we're allowed to pay homage there. <laughs> I think that's a really cool idea. Food as well. I thought food might be quite important. So food's important. Yeah. Obviously chips. <laughs> All right. Like square, square shaped or rectangular chips, as if it's an electronic component. Yeah. Oh, that's now. Now here, here's a UK US difference where we in the UK chips are potato. Uh, sorry, French fries. Right. And crisps are what we call chips. Correct. Yes. So I'm thinking like big chunky potatoes, um, like fries, shaped into like the microprocessors of that particular hardware or something. That that could be quite interesting. That's really cool. And they have like food grade ink. So you could, you know, do the little micro printing, like what's physically on there, like print some circuitry and, oh man. <laughs> you can even use food coloring too. Like there was a big fad in the 90s in the US of having like uh, green ketchup and purple ketchup and like all these like weird food coloring derived things where you could have green chips It'd be really fun and really weird I like it I don't know how appetizing it is but people would buy it <laughs> and then maybe it comes in like in Japan it's got a happy meal uh-huh. here or... too okay so like a happy meal box but it's like the shape of the uh, instrument or something that like the, the console the yeah. that's great yeah. oh how fun is that and I also really like that there's kind of different uh, color palettes for each of these different video game consoles. So it's clear mm. to tell sort of if you're on, you know, Team Sega, everything's going to be pretty mm-hmm. much black. And then, uh, yeah, Commodore stuff, you could have like wood paneling or like that wood, faux <laughs> wood look. And Nintendo's largely yeah. gray, but usually has some kind of colorful purple or pink or whatever accents. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. And then there's an artist called Pan Perdue uh, from France. And Pan Perdue, in English, it means French toast, I believe. Huh. Like, you know, the, the eggs and the milk and the bread. So maybe that's something that we sell as well. <laughs> that's like, great. Like French toast. Yeah, yeah, and that's really fun too. Your, your menu could be made up of uh, almost like they do with cocktails. Well, they'll make a cocktail and name it after some celebrity or something because those ingredients kind of relate to their name or what they're famous for. We could do okay. something like that. 
So you just reminded me of something that that's not on my doc document here, mm. but there's a bar, there's a bar in Kyoto in to, uh, in Japan, and it's called La Siesta, and it's run by a chip tune artist called Master Quarter. Wow! And he's 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 got like this kind of eight bit themed uh, bar, and he has all these original cocktails based on like game characters. I can't remember from the top of my head, but his whole menu of drinks is like cocktails but like a kirby punch or something or you know all these different drinks there we go there's the drink that's menu. fantastic yeah we can just uh borrow from all of the barcades around the world or i think barcade is a copywritten term but arcade bars like i know i've, I've had a bloody mario which was just a bloody mary <laughs> uh, but it was really good i i think they might have used beer instead of tequila or something but anyway people have thought long and hard about this already and right, right. we can just borrow the names that's cool man i like that a lot oh yeah that's really fun because you got to have food. Even if it was just burgers and fries, people would just go buy it. But if we can make it a little bit more thematic and mm, plus it a little mm. bit, we might as well. So I guess we're kind of lucky with Chiptune in, in that we can we can think of the music, we can think of the artists, we can also think of the hardware. So yeah. there's a lot of crossover here. It's kind of like a game, music, uh, you know, all these different things being pushed in together. So. And I'm hoping right now that the, the listener is just yelling at their speaker saying... I have this amazing idea for a name of a food that's a really fun pun or something. Um, but I'm sorry, guys, we can't hear you. Y'all had to hit us <laughs> up on social media. There's, a, there's an artist called Balloon Bear, so maybe he could be giving out balloon bears to the kids. Right? <laughs> just very, just very yeah. simple, punny stuff like this. Even if it's just a regular, you know, we have an employee who does the balloon stuff. They can also be selling Balloon Bear merch right there at the little balloon station. Like, it's just a fun... I think it's really interesting when places do that where you can only buy this item at that physical location. Even if it's in a theme park, it's like the gift shop doesn't have every single thing available. You kind of had to journey around and find it in kind of an exclusive location. I think that makes it more magical. Um, or if you're, you go into the theme park and you're like, you know, I love this, this specific musician. And then as you're walking by, you're like, Oh my God, I get it. This is a reference to their name. I need to go check over there. Maybe that's where the t-shirts are for them. Uh, having like a collect-a-thon kind of aspect uh, would be really fun. I like that. Maybe a stamp rally or something as well. I've got it. I've got it. When you enter the theme park, you get a, a Game Boy, an actual Game Boy. Oh, yes. Get, and then as you go around, you collect the four batteries for the back. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the cartridge. And then when you leave, yes. you've got like your Game Boy as a music player and the cartridge is preloaded with all the artist tracks. There you oh, go. that's excellent. And then as you exit through the gift shop, you've got the, the, the merchandise from all the artists, the CDs, the T-shirts, things like this. This is a really fun theme park, and I, I feel like it's kind of a physical manifestation of of this auditory experience. It, although there is a lot of really great visual elements, especially you know album art, music videos, and sort of the uh, video VJ stuff that we were talking about. So yeah, it, it's a cool way to 
explore and let people walk around within this world. And then hopefully we'll get more people buying chiptune music. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, oh man, we should also have some sort of pixel artists would be really cool, not only for like the light effects in the club, but pixel art everywhere. You know, if, if there's going to be a fence with bushes behind it. The backgrounds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, backgrounds, exactly. Instead of having actual shrubbery, just have pixel art of shrubbery. Uh, instead of having a caricature artist just drawing, they could be doing pixel art of you mm, and your family. That's a great idea. You could do yeah. a lot of fun stuff. And there's a lot of, of really amazing uh, pixel artists as well that we could feature here or have them do a little you know performance or a whatever or just kind of contribute art to the theme park. That'd be really cool. We should bring in former guest Matei Jan. Um, he's got the Pixel Art Academy project that he's working on. Uh, and he's a amazing pixel artist but that could be a really cool way of teaching people about how to make pixel art and kind of what goes into that um so it'd be really cool to to include him somewhere yeah i agree um you you know in um like disney world or disneyland you have a kind of mountain but why don't we have the uh the atari logo as the mountain in the center (laughs) that's beautiful and i always saw that logo as like three slides for some reason probably because i love playgrounds so like yeah they could be huge slides even inside there like it's a tunnel oh that's great man says tricks i thought he could be doing a magic show <laughs> that's just crazy. because his name's c tricks right yeah Go you're gonna tricks. see some tricks <laughs> that's yeah. really cute well i mean the more types of entertainment we can have the better and if it's a pun or a reference then that gives us an excuse to put it in the theme park <laughs> yep i love that's it pretty lame but that's like super it. cool and i just love the idea of being able to give a physical world to this stuff and to the different record labels. Like you could have each, you know, net label have a physical store. I don't know if you'd do physical media, probably just digital downloads or something. But if people have vinyl pressings or whatever, we could have that represented here as well. And maybe some some kind of cool high-tech point of sale, like where you can buy the digital album there and get it on your phone. Sometimes I think people are more prone to buy something when they go into a physical store yeah, it's interesting. You know, merch sells quite well. People like to, people still like to buy physical objects rather than for a download code. I was, I was pretty concerned when, well, not concerned. I was a bit worried when we first did a vinyl release, but they sold like that. We also did a, I don't have it here, but we did a, a Mega Drive cartridge release, and that sold out like within the week as well. So that is the coolest thing i've ever heard of i would totally buy that <laughs> maybe hey maybe we can cash in on that kind of thing like if you want to sort of buy your memories of the day you know instead of selling people like pictures of them on the roller coaster right. they can buy a cartridge of it has you know their caricature of like their little avatar that a digital like a pixel artist made and maybe any songs that they created in the music creation area a, you know a little demo of the musician who was playing that that day whatever we can kind of load in like some stuff in there and you know push the limits of the physical capacity of the cartridge maybe oh or maybe like game boy camera it, yeah on the roller coaster <laughs> it uses the game boy camera so it's just like one pixel for your face or something <laughs> so funny it prints out on the game boy printer as well 
wow, what a cool aesthetic that was. I loved that. That system was really fun. thing I thought of was a, a Nanoloop maze because I mentioned Nanoloop being this very kind of gr grid based software maybe we could have a maze where people go through and, and, and it, it's kind of playing so you can see these flashing lights as they're going through and it's it's got these sounds coming out and you're just very dis you know combobulated all over the place so that sounds really cool and you could make it kind of a gameplay mechanism where maybe there's like as kind of the the metronome or whatever the bouncing ball so to speak is lighting up maybe that's a red light or something and when the red light shines in your area you're supposed to like freeze or something so you're like trying to find your way through this maze but you have to keep track of the rhythm yes and you could maybe following the sound like this is the sound i need to go this way or you know. wow yeah we could make it more like a game inside a maze with rhythm and oh man mm. there's so much cool stuff we could do here This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we got enough uh, material out of this this idea. I mean, <laughs> I was a little bit concerned. I was too, but I mean, you're an expert and I'm a fan, so it, man, it worked out. If the audience enjoyed listening to you, and I'm I'm sure that they have, how can they find out more about you and your record label and your your music? performances there's a really good website called chiptunes equals win they are kind of a, a chiptune news website they they put out all um, information on new releases not just my label um, but yeah that, that's a really good resource chiptunes equals win um, yeah my label is called cheap beats because you know we're very cheap beats <laughs> i figured it was a spin-off of your musician's name is that right yeah, it's cheap shot and laser beat. We came together to make the label. Oh, but the, nice. the problem the problem is if you if you Google search cheap space beats, you just get like loads of discount vouchers for beat <laughs> headphones. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> yeah, we're just cheap beats, one word. Yeah. So that's my record label and uh, the the philosophy of the record label is we are trying to bring kind of outside um, of Japan chiptune artists like showcase them in Japan and then also showcase Japanese chiptune artists to the world that was the original concept but now we're just kind of like a global label very cool and where is Square Sounds happening like where can people go see a live performance you can go and see a live performances um, in a few different places but Square Sounds runs in Melbourne Australia and Tokyo Japan and they're about six months apart yeah, so we, we run in September, October time, and uh, Square Sounds Melbourne is February, March time. Very cool. And then anyone out there who's interested in podcasts, for one, and also education, the kind of educational tangents we went off on, can you tell us a little bit about the Ludic Language Pedagogy Journal? Wow, okay. Big segue. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm a nerd for teaching stuff, and especially games in the classroom. So I am a teacher as a day job and I use games to teach with. I'm looking in my 
um, context that I'm pretty much given free reign to teach how I want to teach. I'm involved in language teaching with video games and board games, but there's really not a lot of research from the teacher side. Like, this is how I'm doing it. This is why I did it. This is the framework that I used. And so me and my colleague, Jonathan Dahan, who's based in Japan as well, we decided to make a journal, an online open access journal showcasing, uh, you know, the amazing work that teachers are doing around uh, games in the classroom and how to teach with games. Because, you know, everyone knows how to teach with a textbook or uh, movies and even comics are becoming quite uh, uh, well known as a, as a teaching material. But video games and games are still kind of like controversial almost. you know. Right. It's more avant-garde. It's cutting edge. There's not a lot of resources out there. That's why I like Hey Listen Games so much is it's got all these amazing plug and play resources. Absolutely. I have a PhD in, in this kind of field and I'm, I'm, you know, writing research papers on, uh, you know, how games can be used to teach certain skills. Um, but there's just not a lot from the teacher's perspective. There's a lot of kind of preliminary studies, pilot studies, and then they just end. Ludic language pedagogy is my um, uh, academic journal online um, resource for um, yeah, anything to do with teaching languages and literacy skills with games. That's super cool. Um, and yeah, that's llpjournal.org. Awesome. If anybody has any, any feedback or more ideas, and maybe we can get more specific about like the menu and stuff like that, feel free to follow Amusement Sparks on social media. It's at Amusement Sparks. Uh, usually it's easier to Google it as two words <laughs> because Amusement Sparks, one word, they think the S was a typo and you meant Amusement Parks. But yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for being on the show, James, and uh, have a good one. Bye.